Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new, joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you. And also want to welcome in all of those worshiping at Glassford Hill Middle School in Prescott Valley. So grateful for you guys this morning. Um, before we dive into our text, I do have a couple of quick announcements that I want to share with you. Uh, one is if you consider yourself a part of the Quad City Christian Church, then I want to invite you to our vision night, which is this coming Thursday, December 1st, uh, here at the Prescott campus. But certainly, all you PV people, we'd love to have you here with us. Uh, This is just an opportunity for us to come pray together, come worship together, and give us an opportunity to to cast a vision of where we feel like God's leading us next. And we'd love to have you as a part of that with us uh, this Thursday night. And second announcement is, uh, it is the end of the year. And I've noticed uh, there's all sorts of commercials and pamphlets out right now. Everybody asking for your year-end donations. And there's a lot of great organizations out there uh, that are looking to get your year-end donations. And you should give to great organizations. I just want to remind you that... Uh, Your church has some big things happening in the next year. And so as you're thinking about uh, where the needs are uh, that you can help fill, don't forget your church. So if you've got some year-end donation that you're looking to share this year, uh, we would love for you to consider giving to Quad City uh, because we've got a bunch of stuff coming next year that we're going to need some finances for. So there's my plug. We don't talk about money a whole lot here. There's my plug for today. All right. Diving into our text, Romans chapter 6 is where we are today. Uh, For those of you who are new with us, the book of Romans is a letter, actually, that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of people that he had never met. So there's this church that had gathered in the city of Rome, and as far as we know, Paul had never been there, and no other apostle had been there, but this church was born. And Paul often would go to these churches and spend months and sometimes years fleshing out the gospel to make sure that they understood the gospel of Jesus. Well, because he hadn't been able to get to Rome yet, he wanted to get there. He'd been delayed several times, and he knew it was going to be a while before he gets there. He decides to pull out a piece of paper and a pen and write a letter to them. And that's what we have in this book of Romans. It is the most um, complete and 
compelling explanation of the gospel of Jesus. And it's written down for us just as it was written down for them. And we're so grateful for it. And so we've been working our way through it line by line, chapter by chapter. And today we're going to pick it up in chapter 6 starting in verse 1. But as I've said from the beginning, all of these build off of each other a little bit. And so we need to back up just a little and remind us of where we were last week. Last week, Paul had told us that we all begin in Adam. That all of us are in Adam. That, our, that we are all born sinners because Adam sinned and we were all in him. Okay, so that's where we all started. However, the good news is we can be taken out of Adam and be placed into Christ. And And what I told you last week is there's going to be a day when we all stand before the Lord and one of these two is going to represent you. You're either going to be in Adam and deal with the consequences of his sin or you're going to be in Christ and get to enjoy the blessings of his righteousness. And I asked last week, which one do you want to be in? Which one do you want representing you? Now... You guys got up here early today and decided to go to church. So my guess is most of you would say, I want to be in Jesus. And that's a good answer. Like, I want to be in Jesus. Most people, most believers say, I want to be in Jesus. It's obvious. I want to be in Christ. Kind of. What do I mean by that? Because most of us, we want the blessing of being in Jesus. We want the blessing of the forgiveness of Jesus. We want the identity that comes with being in Jesus. We want the holiness credited to our account that comes from being in Jesus. We just don't want to actually have to live like Jesus. We want all of the blessings of Jesus, but we want to actually live like we're still in Adam. We still want to indulge our flesh and live in our sin. And and, and then Paul in chapter 5 throws out this line to us. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. This is an amazing promise that no matter how big the sin gets piled up over here with Adam and all of us who are in Adam, the bigger this pile of sin gets, the more it increases, grace increases all the more. The bigger the sin pile, the larger the grace pile. And some people will hear that and say, wow, well, if grace increases when sin increases then i want all the grace i don't know about you like give me all the grace how many of y'all want all the grace all the grace i can get well if i want more grace then i just need a little more sin because where sin grows grace grows all the more so give me all the grace by doing all the sin makes perfect sense right Paul has been teaching this stuff for probably 20 years at this point, and he anticipates somebody recognizing this loophole. And so he addresses it in our text today. So again, remember, they're all building off of each other. This was last week, and here's his response to it in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Sounds like a great plan. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it anymore? So he knows that there are going to be some people who say, well, if grace brings, if sin brings more grace, then give me all the grace, and I'll just keep doing all the sin. And Paul says, no, 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 we can't do that. 
We are those who have died to sin. We have died to sin. Did you know that? We've died to it. How can we live in it? Like this doesn't even make sense. You are dead to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? Now, you read that and you think, did I die to sin? Yesterday I didn't die to sin. Yesterday was not a good day. And so I don't know that I really died to sin. Sin was very much alive yesterday. When did I die to sin? I mean, actually it seems like it gets more powerful, not less. So, so, how, so when did I die to sin, Paul? And he answers the question. Or don't you know, pause, whenever in Paul's writing you read this phrase, don't you know, what he's really saying is, you should know. That's what he's saying. You should know. What do you mean you don't know? You should know this. Don't you know this? Like this is common knowledge, what I'm about to tell you. This is not surprising. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? So we need to, we need to pause right here for just a moment. When did you die to sin? He says all of those who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. So he's going to, over the next couple of verses, he's going to talk about baptism. And he's going to talk about some of the amazing theological and spiritual doctrines and realities that happen in and around this thing we call baptism. Now, we need to pause here for a moment and talk about baptism, okay? Because here's what I know. In this room, in Prescott Valley, on the interwebs, there's a lot of different people who come from a lot of different backgrounds. And when I say baptism, that word means something different to many of you. Okay? And so what does it mean to Paul? What is he talking about? There's, there's all sorts of people in this, in this room. And so we need to figure out what is he saying when he says baptism. For some of you, baptism for you was something that your parents did that you don't remember they did it when you were an infant. You had no control over it, and they just told you they did it, and they showed you a picture. Like, that was it. That's all it was. For some, you did it as a form of, like, fire insurance. Like, you went into one of those Christian Halloween houses, and there was the wreck and the fire, and they told you you are going to hell if you don't get baptized. And you're like, well, I don't want to go to hell, so take me to the dunk tank. I don't know what we're doing. And you just did it because somehow it's my get-out-of-hell-free card. And you've been keeping that in your pocket for the last 60 years. For some of you, baptism, I say it, it was a sprinkling. For some of you, it was a pouring. For some of you, it was a, a dunk in a dunk tank. For some of you, it was in a creek or a pond or a hot tub or a pool. For some, it was something that you did way after you came to faith. And for some of you, you did it right when you came to faith. For some of you, you were told it was a sacrament. For others of you, you were told it was just a symbol. For some, you see it as optional. For others, you see it as an act of obedience. Still others see it as a necessary means of the, of, of the grace of God. And so we need to understand, before we jump into the text, what does Paul mean when he says baptism? What is he talking about? What is he thinking about when he uses these terms? What, is, what assumptions is Paul making when he uses this word baptism? And I think there are four. 
There's probably more, but I've got four for today. Four assumptions that I think Paul is making when he talks about baptism. So let me share with you real quick. Here's the first one. Paul's first assumption is that all disciples of Jesus have been baptized. Again, I mentioned earlier, Paul has never been to this church in Rome. He's never been there. Again, as far as we know, none of the apostles have been there. We think that it may have gotten started on the day of Pentecost, but we're not even sure about that. But here's what we do know. There is a church full of disciples of Jesus in Rome. And Paul, never having talked to these people, never having been there, Paul assumes that they have all been baptized. Why? Because they're believers and they're in the church. And as he's writing this letter, he just assumes that if you're a believer, you're a disciple in the church, you have been baptized. So Paul, writing to these disciples, launches into this conversation about baptism and he assumes they've all already been baptized. What you'll notice in this text is never once does he try to convince anybody to get baptized. He doesn't make a defense for baptism. He doesn't try to offer an invitation so that people come forward and be baptized. That's not, none of that happens in this text. What happens in this text is he assumes they've all already been baptized. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized were baptized into his death? He assumes that everybody who's hearing him say this stuff has already been baptized. For Paul and every other author in the New Testament, there is no category for a believer who has not been baptized. Like it doesn't exist. You will never find that in the New Testament. If you are a disciple of Jesus, the assumption is then you've been baptized. In fact, it is so fundamental becoming to becoming a disciple of Jesus, that Jesus put it right in the Great Commission. Like his last instructions to his disciples, he gave them these words. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. Great Commission. This is your job. Well, how do we do that? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It was so ingrained in the mission of Jesus to make disciples that he puts baptism as the very first step in becoming the disciple of Jesus. Like that's how, that's how important it was. Jesus made it in the Great Commission. Now the question is, Jesus told this to his disciples. Did his disciples understand it that way? Did his disciples understand that to become a disciple of Jesus, you need to be baptized? Did they understand the assignment? I think the answer to that is yes. Because in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. The church is born that day. Peter preaches the message about Jesus. And he tells this huge crowd of people, you have killed God's son. And when they heard this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Do you know what that means? They believed him. Like they were, oh no, we have messed this thing up. We're in big trouble. They believed him. We, they was cut to the heart. So Peter, so, I'm sorry, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? How do we fix this? We killed God's son. What do we do now? 
And look at what Peter says. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all those who are far off. That's you, by the way. You're the far off people. For all whom the Lord our God will call. They ask the question, what do we do, Peter? And notice what Peter didn't say. He didn't say, raise your hand. He didn't say, bow your head and close your eyes. He didn't say, repeat this prayer after me. What he said was, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. That's what you do when you come to surrender to Jesus. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Again, there's no category here for those who accepted his message but weren't baptized. Those who accepted the message were baptized. Because that's what you do as a disciple of Jesus. They accepted the message and they were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Who were added to the number? Those who were baptized. How did you get added to the number? Those who were added were those who were wet. Those who accepted his message were baptized. That's what you do as a disciple of Jesus. Again, there's no category for those who accepted the message but didn't get baptized. So, that's the first assumption. Here's the second assumption. They were baptized when they first came to faith. That's the second assumption Paul would have had about baptism. And again, we see that right in this text. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. When? Say it again like you mean it. They were baptized that day. It wasn't that we did this thing and we raise our hand and then we come back a week later or a month later or a year later or 12 years later. Those who accepted the message were baptized that day. And again, we see this as the pattern all throughout the New Testament. That, that just when someone comes to saving faith in Jesus, they're baptized. There's no gap in between those things. We see it in the book of Acts. Uh, Philip went to Samaria and he's preaching the gospel to the people of Samaria. And look what the text says. When they, the people of Samaria, when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. So when you believe, you get baptized. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Like that's what you do. When you come to believe, you get baptized. That's what we see all throughout the New Testament. So what we see with the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember this story? Where an Ethiopian man in a chariot heading back to Egypt. And the Holy Spirit tells Philip, hey, run, go run by that chariot. And he's running by the chariot. And he's reading in the chariot from the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip asks him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I? Unless somebody explains it to me. Is he talking about himself or somebody else? And Philip jumps up into the chariot and begins to teach him about Jesus. 
Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? So he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And, and, and Philip starts with that very text and tells him the good news about Jesus. And do you know what Isaiah 53 teaches about being baptized? Do you know what it teaches? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So how did we get there? We got there because Philip began with the passage and then told him the good news about Jesus. And in telling him the good news about Jesus, evidently Philip said, Hey, to be a part of this good news, you get baptized. That's what disciples do. You get baptized. And so it isn't Philip who brings up the water. It's the eunuch. The eunuch, it says, look, here's water. There it is. And then he says, who can stand in the way of me being baptized? And the answer was, nobody was going to stand in the way. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And they both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water. And Philip baptized him. Because when you come to saving faith, you respond by getting baptized. And again, we just see this all over the text, all over Scripture. We see it in uh, Acts chapter 16. You may remember the story of Lydia. Lydia's praying by the river. Paul comes up in Acts chapter 16 and proclaims the gospel. The text says the Lord opened Lydia's heart, and immediately she was baptized. A little later on in the chapter, you remember the Philippian jailer, Paul and Silas are in jail and they're singing the songs and the earthquake comes and the chains fall off and the jailer rushes in and he's ready to take his own life. And Paul says, don't do that. We're all still here. Don't do that. And the jailer comes and throws himself at Paul's feet and says, what must I do to be saved? And Peter shares the gospel with him that very night. And the text says he was baptized that very night. And again, we even see it in Paul's own salvation story. As he recounts his own testimony of his coming to Jesus. You remember the story of Paul going to, on the road to Damascus and Jesus came and said, Why are you persecuting me? And then Jesus said, I got some instructions for you. Go to Damascus and meet a guy named Ananias. Jesus didn't tell him anything else to do. Just go find Ananias and he'll help you know what to do. So he goes to Ananias' house. And Ananias says to Paul, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. This is an amazing thing that Jesus, I'm sorry, that Paul saw the righteous one and heard words from his mouth. He got one-on-one discipleship from Jesus. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for, Ananias said? What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. This is Paul recounting his own testimony. And so that's what he did. He got up and he was baptized. Here's the point. Somewhere along the way, in the, especially in the Western church, we've taken this where we place faith at one point and then we get baptized sometime later and there's this giant gap in between those two things. And what I'm telling you today is that gap does not exist in Scripture. Like ever. 
Like when somebody comes to faith, their response is to be baptized. We've put a gap in here where there is no gap. So these people that Paul's talking to, he would have assumed that when they came to faith, they were baptized. It's how your journey begins with Jesus. Here's another assumption that Paul would have had is the assumption that baptism isn't a work. It's not a work. It isn't us achieving something. You don't achieve a baptism. You receive a baptism. It isn't something that you're hanging on to. It's something in baptism you are actually letting go of something. Your own pride. You are surrendering. It it, it isn't something that you do. Baptism is actually something that is done to you. It is not a work that you can complete on your own. Whenever Paul talks about baptism, he always links it to an act of faith. It's about faith. Paul lambasts works all throughout his writings. There's a whole list of things that he gets really angry about when people are trying to work their way to God. Baptism's never on that list because it's not a work. It's an act of faith, and Paul makes it clear. He says, in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision performed by human, not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was cut off when you were circumcised by Christ. Pause. He's talking about this again. That you were all in Adam. Okay? And there was a moment that happened when Jesus takes you out of Adam and he cuts off your whole flesh. That's what he says. The whole self ruled by the flesh was cut off. And you were circumcised and placed in Jesus. You're like, well, when did that happen? Because I feel like I would remember that. If I had a circumcision, I think that I would remember if Jesus did that to me. When did it happen? Here's when. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through your faith. In the working of God. He cut off the flesh when you were baptized into Christ. And you were raised with him through your what? Through your faith. It isn't a work. It's through your faith. It was your faith in the working of God. If it's anybody's work, it's God's work. It's not your work. It is God who gets the credit. It is God who did something here. Not you. This is what we see all throughout Scripture. Paul says again in Galatians. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. How? Through faith. For, this is how it happened. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In that moment when you were moved from Adam into Christ... You, through faith, were baptized. And in that moment, you were clothed with Christ. You then became in Christ. It is now as if when God looks at you, he sees his son. You were clothed with Christ. In that moment, through your baptism. Which brings us to this last assumption. Baptism isn't just a symbol of something. It's a sacrament. Now, 
when I say sacrament, that has, that's a loaded word for different people. What I mean by sacrament is that, that we do something in the physical realm that actually has ramifications in the spiritual realm. It's sacred, sacramental. Okay? Uh, here's an example of it. Your marriage was not just a ceremony. It was a sacrament. Right? Because scripture says that in that moment when you took those vows, God took two people and made them one. That happened. You have been made one with your spouse. That didn't happen with a piece of paper. That's something that God did. God took two and made them one. In the spirit realm, you are one with your spouse. That's what scripture teaches. That physical act of taking those vows had spiritual ramifications where God took two and made them one. Baptism is the same. We are, in that moment, we are baptized in the name of Jesus through faith. And there are realities, consequences of that moment that occur in the spiritual realm. And Paul gives us one of them right here in our text. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. When do you get clothed with Christ? According to this text, it happened when you were baptized into Christ. Like that physical act had spiritual ramifications. God, in that moment, clothed you with Christ. And not only this, we also read in Acts 22. Again, when, when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and told the people, they asked, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He connects those two things to this repentance and baptism. That when you do those things in the physical realm, there's something that happens in the spiritual realm. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of your sins. Again, Ananias said the same thing when he was talking to Paul. Now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins Away. He doesn't say ceremonially wash your sins away. He says wash your sins away. Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away. There's Through this act of surrendering in baptism, there is a washing that happens in the spiritual realm. Not in the physical realm. It's something that happens. These are all assumptions that I believe Paul has as he's addressing this topic to these believers. And again, he assumes they already all know this. Have you not heard? Don't you understand? Don't you know? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may have new life. Again, last week we talked about we all start off in Adam. How is it that we get moved out of Adam and into Christ? How do we do that? How do we get into Christ? How does the death that Christ died become my death? Well, he tells us right here. For all of us who were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. How does Jesus' death the payment for our sin. How does it become my death? When I'm baptized into his death. 
or baptized into his death. And not only so, we are buried with him just as Christ was buried. And we are raised from the dead just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father. We too may have a new life. This is, this is how it happens. We're baptized into his death. We're buried with him through baptism into death in order that. Like this is the peace that you want. In order that. We want this peace. Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father and have a new life. Sign me up. We want that one. How do you get that one? Well, you do this. Because doing this in order to get this. Like this is, this is how we come to faith in Jesus. This is what it looks like. We want to be raised with Him. And when we are then in Him, all that happened to Him happens to us and gets credited to our account. It's not just a symbol. It is a participation in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and he says, hang on, into, this word into is important. We've got to be in it, in it, with him. And that's when this spiritual reality happens. The baptistry is both a tomb and a womb. Okay? The baptistry is both a tomb and a womb. It is a tomb where we are put to death. We are buried with him in baptism. Buried with him through baptism. It is our tomb. It is where we go to die. It is where we are buried. It is our tomb. But it then becomes our womb. Because just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father. We too may have a new life. That when we come up out of the water. Jesus calls it being born again. Like we get a new life. The old is gone. The new has come. A new creation is here. It is a tomb and it is a womb to whereby we go from being born to being reborn. That's what happens. And we're born into eternal life with Jesus. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, then we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. How many of you all want to be united with Christ? For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is the whole point of this whole text. is to help us understand you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Because you died. Don't you know? You died. When did I die? Through baptism. You died. And we'll get to this rest of this. Do you want to be united with Christ? If we've been united with him in a death like his through our baptism, then we will also certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his brought up to new life. And in doing so, because we've been crucified with him, we know that the, for now the old self was crucified with him. We were crucified when he was crucified. We were buried when he was buried. We were raised when he was raised. And now... Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We can be set free from sin in Him. 
We can be set free just as he has been set free. If we are in him. So don't miss this. Through this thing we call baptism, this text says we are united with Christ. We're crucified with him. We join him in his death, his burial, his resurrection. And we are set free from sin. It never will have mastery over us again. All that happened to Jesus gets applied to us. So here's the question today. Are you in Jesus? Like, have you been united with Christ in the way that Scripture tells you to be united with Christ? Have you done that? Have you been crucified with him? Have you died with him? Have you been buried with him? And have you been risen to new life with him so that you too can be set free from sin? That's what we want to invite you to do today. So we want to give you a chance to be put into Jesus today. If you haven't done that, then then I would just say to you what Ananias said to Paul. What are you waiting for? Like, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized, calling on his name. What are you waiting for? Like, we've got the water today. We've got the shorts and the shirts. We've got the underoos. We're ready for you, even if you weren't ready for this. We want you to do that. More than than just hammering you like Ananias did Paul, I would much rather have a church filled with people who are like the Ethiopian eunuch, who said, look, there's water. Who can stop me from being baptized? Like, who's going to stop me? Like, right there is water. Why can I not be baptized? That's the heart that I want for you today. Because of all that we get in the heavenly realms by doing this one act of surrender to be found in Jesus. So, right now I'm going to ask you to stand. On both of our campuses, go ahead and stand where you are. And we're, our band's going to come and they're going to sing a song. And if you want to get baptized today, if you say, I can't wait, then where's the water? Who's going to stop me? Then I want to invite you to come meet me right down in front of the baptistry there. And PV, meet with the prayer team there down front. And they'll be doing baptisms after as well. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized, calling on his name. Father, we are grateful that you've given us a way to be found in Christ so I pray today that you would stir in our hearts a gratitude for what you have done and prompt us to act, to close the gap for so many who have had faith but never taken this step. Close the gap today. Do your work among your people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you have a decision to make, come meet me down front. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.